following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. As I told you, our life group, um, kind of how this works is, is we, we decided, we've gone through books and that sort of thing. We've done that quite a bit, and we decided that we were just going to leave that for a while and just go directly to the Bible. And the way we were going to go about this was just simply reading a chapter as a time, at a time as couples um, through the week and then pulling one thing from that chapter. One thing, Tim. One thing <laughs> um, to bring in a, a, and to address with the group when we were, when we were together. All right? So, so that's the way we decided to, to kind of go uh, about this. Um, and, and what that led to is we went through chapter 3 kind of a discussion, one of the things we discussed was, was the difference between, between joy and happiness in life. Joy and happiness. Here, here, here is a question. When was the last time you truly, truly experienced joy? I mean, if you think about this, you see, there, there, is, there is a difference between happiness and joy. One of these is kind of fleeting. One of these is very dependent upon circumstances. And one of them should not be fleeting. One of them should be there always. And before, because what we're going to look at today in this passage, you get, get, the, get the cart in front of the horse here just a little bit, is the, the outside influences that can affect us and affect our joy. But before we ever get to that, there's something we need to understand. Perspective. When it comes to joy in our lives, perspective is what matters most. Where, are, where we place our hope, in whom we place our faith. Okay, so let, let's understand that. It begins here on the inside. And this is something that came up in our life group was this. Joy, very much so in this life, is a choice. Okay, all right. So, so let's keep that in mind in the midst of this, all right? Joy has backbone. Joy endures. Here's, here's another question. Would you describe your life as joyful? Would you describe your life as joyful? If not, who or what, who or what stole your joy? Philippians is the joy book. It's, it's only four chapters long, and those aren't even very long chapters, okay? You can read through the book of Philippians quite quickly. Um, and in this small book, this small letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, nearly 2,000 years ago, you will see that 16 different times he uses the Greek word for joy. You see, the Philippian church brought joy to Paul's heart. Now, we know this because we, it wasn't that long ago we talked about the church in the beginning of the church in Philippi in our study through the book of Acts. And when we think about Philippi, we think about people. We think about Lydia, for one, the seller of purple fabric. Had nothing to do with K-State, Jason. All right, all right. And um, so she, she was a very successful businesswoman, okay? Um, incredible woman. We think about maybe a jailer, a particular jailer who was about to commit suicide until Paul stopped him, Paul and Silas, um, came to the Lord. He and members of his household were, were baptized in to Christ. When we think about when we think about the church in Philippi, if we look at it in the context of Scripture, we see a people who were generous, they were tireless, they were genuine, and they were mature beyond their years. They were a church that Paul could always count on. It's from the book written 
to the letter written to Philippi we call the book of Philippians that we get some, some, some gems from scripture like this. Um, For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That one comes from Philippians. Maybe this one, this one gets misused a lot, but we should not take away from the power of the statement when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What about, what about this one from Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, which falls into what we're looking at today. So this is the place to look in the New Testament when it comes to joy. All right. As I told you, joy has a lot to do with perspective, has a lot to do with what's going on on the inside, but there are some outside factors as well. Who or what can steal our joy? Today we're going to focus on the who. The who. Okay. Um, I'm going to speak to families here that are have in your, in your household, you have, at least, you have at least four because this is kind of tough if you have three or less. Right? So if you have at least four in your household, or at one time your household at least had four in it, you're going to understand a little bit of what I'm talking about here. The kiddos and families, all right, usually in an extreme way or just kind of in a kind of a small way, fall into one of two categories. And lots of times we'll talk about good categories that the kiddos fall into. This isn't necessarily two of those good categories, all right? This is the categories. One is bullies, and the other one is tattlers. Uh huh. You know, and already, parents, you know what I'm talking about. After the first service, I had two different couples came to me and said, "Yep, we know exactly who you're talking about." <laughs> All right, the bullies and the tattlers—they're not usually exist in the same person. But when you have a bully tattler, buckle your seatbelt. All right, you're in for some interesting times. Okay, the Pharisees, the Pharisees in Scripture. In, in the time of Jesus as well as the time after Jesus spending his life here on earth physically in a way. That's our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So later in the early church, the Pharisees could quite easily be labeled as bully tattlers. Right? They, they would let you hear about it if you're doing something wrong. They had no issues with doing that in any way whatsoever. Paul wasn't too fond of the practice, one practice in particular, the Pharisees, within the church. Keep in mind, Paul himself had been a Pharisee. Okay? Remember... Um, the church in Philippi was largely Gentile. Okay, just pull back for a moment to, to our study through the book of Acts. It's been a while ago, I know, when we were in, in Philippians 16. But when Paul went to the city of Philippi to preach the gospel, he couldn't go to a synagogue. There was no synagogue. And remember, to have a synagogue in a, in a, in a town in that part of the world, in that day and in that time, you only needed 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. Well, they didn't have enough to do that. So in Philippi, we're talking about a very small Jewish population. So when you're speaking about the people in the church at Philippi, it was largely Gentile. But in the first century, within the churches in that part of the world, there was a subject that dominated when it came to the church and the inside Pharisees within the church. Because I'm telling you, Paul wasn't the only Pharisee who turned his life over to Jesus Christ. Right? The subject, many of you already know because we covered it in Acts. The subject was circumcision. Circumcision. Paul has one letter that he wrote, Galatians, that, my goodness, he gets with it in that. And the whole letter is about, about, is about that subject. About telling the Gentiles, don't let them come here and disrupt your faith. 
Don't let them mess it up. Because this is the, this is the issue. Those Pharisees who came to Lord. Now, not all of them. As I said, Paul was one of He was a Pharisee. But some of them came and said, okay, 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 Gentiles, listen up. You know, Jesus is awesome. Jesus is great. Jesus is wonderful. But he's not quite enough. And if you want to be a part of us, you want to be a part of these churches, you want to be a part of this church, you got to be circumcised too. Paul had a very big issue with this. All right. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. This is what it says. Finally, my brethren, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So what we see here, Paul in verse 1, we see that a lot. This is similar language. He even uses rejoice in here throughout this this letter um, to the church in Philippi. Very typical of Paul's writing here, all right? Now look at verse 2. Beware the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Okay, <laughs> one of the things that we do in, in our life group is, is you bring the subject that came out of that chapter, all right, that you're going to talk about, but you tie a verse with that, obviously. And when we went through chapter three, not one person in our entire life group picked verse two. Didn't pick, beware the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Now, Eric Fry made it very clear to me, because we argue about about versions of the Bible all the time. Donna and I argue about it as well, all right? Uh, Look at the footnotes on your Bible, because most of your versions aren't going to have a word used in verse 2. There is one version that does. And I commend the version. It's good. It's great. Okay. Hopefully Eric's watching this. He was at the first service, so he's probably not. All right. But nobody picked up on this verse from verse 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. When you look at that footnote, if your Bible has footnotes, you know what it'll have there beside that false circumcision? Mutilators of the flesh. All right. It's the people pushing the circumcision thing. And what Paul is saying here, beware of these dogs. Beware of these workers. Beware of the mutilators. This is strong language because it was the goal of these, of these tattlers, these bullies, to mess up the faith of some people. You see, jealousy among the Jewish Christians was very real. And in some of these towns, they saw these huge numbers of people coming to God through Jesus Christ. You see, they had, had kind of, they thought anyway, that they had the, corner, the, the market cornered on, on God for quite some time. And some of them, it kind of bugged them. They said, they don't look enough like us. They don't act enough like us. And Paul was incredibly frustrated with these people. Because here's the deal. Paul was all about Jesus. And he was all about removing roadblocks between people and Jesus. And when you got people standing up in the church telling a 47-year-old man saying, oh, if you want to be one of us and follow Jesus, you got to be circumcised. It's a problem. And Paul was furious about this. Here's my question. Here's my question. It's almost 2,000 years later. Is Phariseeism dead? Is it dead today? Is it in our culture anymore? Are there those who are all too happy to mess up the faith of the faithful? 
If there are any that fit in that category, Paul says, be wary of them. Don't let them steal your joy. Brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to something very closely. We talked about this last week. There is nothing about following Jesus that is complicated. Anybody can do it. It's about loving God and it's about loving people because that's how we practically love God is by loving people. You don't need a postgraduate degree to do this. You don't need to go to a seminary and take hours upon hours of theological training to do this. Now don't misunderstand me. We are to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is important. But if theology ever becomes more important than Jesus, there's a problem. So what we got going on here is this. Paul says, be wary of those trying to stir and mess up this faith of yours. Following Jesus is not complicated. Do not let them steal your joy. Secondly, that's not the only group. Paul doesn't leave this discussion quite yet in chapter 3, all right? Nearly every day of our lives, you know what we do? We do a lot of things every day. Nearly every day of our lives, we, we find ourselves facing decisions that affect our conscience and thereby affect our joy. I hope that we, I hope that we all understand this. Paul wrote something else to the church in Corinth. It's interesting where he wrote it because he wrote it in a very unusual place, 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 is all about joy. It's all about hope. I mean, that's where we read about what is coming for the followers of Jesus Christ. The grave's not going to hold them. We will come forth from those graves one day when Jesus calls us home. And we'll be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And this, this mortal will put on immortality. This 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 perishable body will become indestructible imperishable how's that sound the body doesn't hurt anymore body doesn't argue anymore and we will fly and meet jesus can you believe that does that sound good that sounds good to me all right but there in the middle of that paul makes this statement no it wasn't just grandma who said this okay all right bad company corrupts good morals yes it is biblical And it wasn't original with Paul, but he used it right there in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, when it's time to make these decisions, there are those who often vie for our attention. We've even got a name for them these days. I mean, it's crazy because 20, maybe even 10 years, maybe five years ago, this wouldn't have meant anything. But these days, this, this title means something, Influencer. A lot of influencers out there, all right? Whether it, be, uh, whether it be Instagram, whether it be Twitter, whether it be YouTube, everybody wants to be an influencer, okay? And that might be where your mind goes if, that's kinda, if, if, you, if, you, if you participate in social media stuff. But I'm not just talking about them as influencers. I'm talking about the influencers we meet on a day-to-day basis, those who vie, once again, for our attention. Let's take a look at this, verse 18 of Philippians chapter 3. 
Paul is not done with the warnings yet. This is what he says. For many walk of whom I often told you, and I tell you now even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. You see, the bully tattlers, the Pharisees, he calls them dogs, evil workers. He calls them mutilators. But these influencers, he calls them enemies of the cross. And their end is destruction. I mean, this is, I mean, Paul is parroting the words of Christ here. We find it right in the Sermon on the Mount. When, when Jesus said these words, he said, wide is the gate and, and wide, broad is the path that leads to what? Destruction. And many are those who find it. Paul, speaking of this group here in Philippians, he says their God is their appetite. This has an extremely broad meaning. It means any physical desire. This individual, these individuals are the perpetual liberal. And I'm not talking politics in any way whatsoever. I'm talking about those who say, we can do whatever we want, leave no desire left unfulfilled. The problem is, their desire becomes their God. And it is an incredibly destructive lifestyle. Listen very closely. There are those who will steal your joy by dragging you down. Influencing you to make the incorrect decisions when those times come. Some of these thieves openly label themselves as Christians. But these people have no idea what grace is about. Their glory is their shame. And guess what? This broke Paul's heart. What does he say about this? What does he say there in verse 18? I tell you this, I write this to you, weeping. It broke his heart, and from them, Paul says, beware of them. We're going to be very clear here. You like practicality? We're about to get practical, okay? So listen very, very closely. Listen closely. If a fellow believer invites you to drown your worries and cares in a glass, beware. I'm not talking about a beer with a burger here, all right? I'm talking about escape from worry, escape from stress by putting something inside my body that will begin to fundamentally transform who I am. And if you got somebody, believer or not, telling you to do this, you better beware. If you got a fellow believer who's constantly, constantly telling you, you got a problem with finances. Some, we, some of us battle that more than others. And you got a fellow believer constantly just charge it, charge it, all right? That's a situation, you better beware of that advice. You better beware of that relationship. If a, if a fellow believer is constantly, men, normally, probably 10, 15 years ago, I would be speaking exclusively to you, not anymore. I've seen the statistics. I'm talking to women, young women and young men too, all of us. You have a believer who is constantly minimizing the devastating consequences of pornography. 
who is always encouraging you to check out the scenery, all right? Do you see that new gal at work? I mean, because, I mean, everybody looks, you know? I mean, I'm not touching. It's no big deal if you're just, you're just looking, right? Or maybe saying this, a little flirting as a married man or a married woman is harmless. If you're hearing that, beware. If a fellow believer is continually engaging in gossip just over and over, beware. If you want your joy intact, brothers and sisters, sometimes it means cutting some ties. Even some very painful ties. Paul wrote specifically in 1 Corinthians again. It's interesting to me how you have very two very different churches. The church in Philippi who are like, when Paul thought of them, he's like, man, I'm so proud of these people. And the people in Corinth, when he thought of them, he was like, oh my goodness. These people stress me out. <laughs> and yet from these two very different perspectives of Paul writing two very different churches we see so many parallel passages and in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 specifically now I'm going to go into details of the situation going on but I'm going to tell you it was bad morally speaking okay I mean in that day and in that time in that Greco-Roman culture when it came to sexual immorality pretty much anything goes okay But even the people on the outside looking in at this church saw a relationship that was taking place and they were like, whoa, that's bad, okay? And not only is this taking place, the church was not trying to stop it. They were bragging about it. And Paul addresses that situation. And he tells them in the midst of that conversation, he he says this. He says, when I wrote you before not to associate with immoral people, I did not mean the immoral people of the world. Otherwise, you would have to go out of the world. You understand what he's saying there? He's like, if, 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 you, if you cannot associate around people, and then he has caught a list there of, of individuals that he's speaking to, okay? I mean, quite a descriptive list. And he says, if, if you can't be around people of the world who are engaging in this type of behavior, you just can't be around the world anymore. So you got to be a monk or just die or something. That's not what I'm saying. That's what Paul says. That's not what I meant. He said, what I was talking about is if you have any, and he uses this language, so-called believer, so-called brother or sister who's engaging in all of this. He said, do not associate with them. You don't even eat with them. And by this judgment, you pray that it will bring him to a place of repentance. Is that strong language? That's pretty strong language. 1 Corinthians 5, you can read it yourself. Brothers and sisters, cutting ties sometimes has to take place for the sake of the person who's trying to influence us, and we cannot allow these influencers to steal our joy. It is hard enough to make the right choices in this life without that kind of influence regularly being a part of our life. All right. So I know what you're saying. Okay, preacher, I, we hear you. We hear you. All right. Beware the Pharisees. Beware the influencers. Got it. Got it. So let's just isolate. Let's just back off. Nope. That's not what Paul's getting at at all. Um, did you notice verse 18 kind of sounded it was in the middle of something? Yeah, it did. Sorry about that. Well, let's read verse 17 now, okay? 
chapter 3, 17 of Philippians says this. Brothers, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. You see, Paul's solution to dealing with those who oppose joy in our lives doesn't mean isolating. It means simply this. Make sure there are people who have joy and make sure that they're a part of our lives. He's not the only one who spoke in this way. The Apostle Peter did the same. The Apostle John, the writer of Hebrews, said the same thing. You want to go old school? All right, King Solomon said the same thing, and his dad, King David, said the same thing. You see, this is something that is very, very, and you know from experience what I'm talking about, something all joyful people have in common is this, a genuineness that is easily identifiable. You know the people who have joy. And I'm not talking about happiness here. I'm talking about joy. They have something that grounds them no matter what this life throws at them. You know who I'm talking about. And for your sake, if you're not one of those people or you're still working on becoming one of those people, you better make sure some of them are in your life. We are not to do this alone. If you, if I, if we are fighting spiritual battles on a daily basis without the company of joyful people, good luck. We need each other. Simply, this is what Paul's saying. It's not complicated. Once again, find joyful people and observe and follow. Because I would bet you my next three years of paychecks, okay, that those joyful people are following Jesus. You know the thing that's cool about joy? This is something we'd be very thankful for. It's contagious. It's contagious. 